Hi all, and thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Open House. We're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all, because we believe that you can truly experience life advancement without having to spend thousands of pounds on -on one-on-one therapy. We believe that happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. If you love this episode today, please do share on social media and tag us, as well as tagging Dr. Tari and I. Now, into the episode, and it's a juicy one. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast with me, Louise Rumble, and Dr. Terry Mack, clinical psychologist and celebrity relationship expert. If you haven't already gone back over the last 45 episodes, Dr. Terry and I have done a lot of these together, and we have covered so much ground on love dating, attachment styles, attachment trauma, and more. So if you haven't already, please do go check the back catalogue. But today, we are talking about all things narcissism. Now, I am really, really, really excited to get into this today, because I think we see a lot of people saying, he's a narcissist. And interestingly, we see less people say she's a narcissist. But what we hear a lot is, he's a narcissist, oh, he's a narc. And actually, I think a lot of the time, people are just emotionally immature. They are bad at communication. Maybe they are just a downright fuckboy. Sorry, Apple and Spotify for my language. So today, Dr. Terry and I are going to go deep dive into narcissism. And I'm talking much deeper than most of these episodes out there go. Because I think that once you understand what a true narcissist is, you can really just navigate life a little bit better. So today we're going to be looking at what narcissism is, how it starts, can you get rid of it, the different types of narcissism, which is something that I think is really, really overlooked by today's society, how we mistreat it, how we enable it, and how, to some extent, it actually gets rewarded and supported. So if you are in a relationship with someone that you believe to be a narcissist, we really, really advise you to seek professional help and also to look back at the episode that we did on how to leave a toxic relationship. But without further ado, let's get into it over to the woman that provides a great deal more insight and wisdom than I ever do, Dr. Tara Mack. Let's start with what is narcissism? Yeah, so narcissism is a pattern of behavior and personality that does not change over time. It's very rigid and it's not good for anybody. Anybody who is in this person's path is probably going to suffer. And narcissism is characterized by certain characteristics like low empathy, entitlement, grandiosity, arrogance, constantly seeking external validation. And narcissists are not really capable of real, true intimacy with other people. They're in relationships to see what they can get. Relationships are to meet their own needs. They are not concerned or they don't consider the other person's needs and feelings. Okay. Super interesting to understand some of the more, I guess, fundamental traits of a narcissist. And I think we're going to get into later in the episode how these can differ person to person. So I think that my first takeaway and I guess second question for you is not all of these traits will show up, right? It's like a they'll probably be there, but you 
don't have to look for all of them. You should be looking at repeated patterns of some of those traits that you mentioned. But just because someone's arrogant doesn't mean that they are narcissistic, right? It can be that you could be arrogant, but that's actually coming from a place of insecurity rather than coming from a place of narcissism. Is that correct? Exactly. Now, some of the features are always present, like a lack of empathy for other people, a lack of consideration for other people's feelings. But yes, arrogance, if you see that alone, doesn't mean somebody is a narcissist. Somebody who you know, likes to take pictures of themselves or needs a lot of external validation. That doesn't mean that somebody is a narcissist. It's a pattern of these behaviors over time. The lack of empathy is a huge one. Mm. And we can talk about later how that shows up. What does that look like? How do you know if somebody has a lack of empathy? Yeah, I can't wait to get into that. So exactly like you said, someone maybe that just because they are a little bit self-obsessed or a little bit insecure or a little bit arrogant, or maybe, you know, they post on Instagram all the time or they're putting out body shots or slightly thirsty pictures, for example, that doesn't necessarily make them a narcissist. That just might mean that they have a couple of other, is it personality traits or potentially other areas of weakness that they need to work on? Absolutely. Yeah, it's this cluster of personality and behaviors that do not change over time. That's what a personality disorder is. Narcissism is a personality disorder. So most of these things are present in narcissism. So one of the things that I learned that was most interesting is that actually at the core of a narcissist, there is something much more deep going on. So can you tell me a little bit more around what's going on at the core of someone who is actually a narcissist? Yes. And I think this is something that is misunderstood because most narcissists, there's a certain type of narcissist that doesn't present this way. And we'll talk about that. But most narcissists have this like charming, grandiose, arrogant personality. And so what we don't really understand is that beneath that charade, beneath that performance, is a deeply insecure person who is using this big personality and this arrogance and this charisma to mask a deep feeling of inadequacy. Mm -hmm. So at the heart of narcissism is a very fragile ego, deep inadequacy, and someone who is very insecure. Yeah, I think that is totally overlooked. And do you think it's correct to say that narcissism is basically their armor? It's sort of their protection in the world, but actually beneath that, there is something a lot more dark and painful, I guess, for them. For sure. I think there's a danger in us talking about this because a lot of people listening may think, oh, you know, like those people who have a lot of empathy, who narcissists tend to prey on, might hear that and say, oh, then I want to save them. I want to empathize. I don't care how badly they're treating me. I'm going to look beneath the surface and try to save this person. That is never going to work. The sense of inadequacy and insecurity is so deeply hidden and comes from trauma and childhood. It's not something that anybody is ever going to be able to change. And you can't overlook these kinds of behaviors that are very hurtful and toxic to the people around them to try to save a narcissist. It's not going to work. 
Yeah. So I just wanted to put that caveat in there too. That's really important. And I think we'll get into can you change a narcissist towards the end of the episode. But one thing that I heard on the podcast that I listened to last week was basically saying, if you are a nice, kind person that feels bad, if you know you see a puppy get hit by a car or a blind man struggling to cross the road, for example, you can't just switch overnight into looking at that blind man trying to cross the road and be like, oh, you know, how embarrassing or, you know, the, the total opposite of empathy, which is like, oh, my goodness, poor man, you know, I, I must help him. And I'm just using that as an example, because this happened to me yesterday. And there was a zebra crossing, I don't know what you call them in the States, like a crossway. And uh, yeah, it, it had moved. So the guy didn't have the road signs and the, the, the texture on the floor to be able to navigate it with his stick. And of course, instantly, I was like, oh, my goodness, poor man and went out and said, oh, do you want some help? And I think just using that as an example is to ask whether you can change a narcissist is basically saying, like, can you over time change those traits in me, the empathy to one day look at that blind man and say, oh, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm not going to help you cross the road. That's your fault. And that is obviously a very extreme example. But we talk a lot around rewiring brains and, and how things are possible. But it's really interesting to hear from you that really rewiring narcissism is almost an impossible feat. I guess this brings us to a, a next really interesting point is that to rewire a narcissist, to rebuild a personality trait, that narcissist would have to be all in on doing that. But I'd love it if you could tell me a little bit around what happens when you see narcissists coming into your practice, or if you even do? Where is that level of self-awareness around a narcissist? Yeah, changing a personality, rewiring a brain for somebody who has a personality disorder is almost impossible. So narcissists usually come into therapy for two reasons. One, they're being dragged in by a significant other. Or they're coming in on their own because they're in some kind of pain, but they are always blaming someone else for their pain. And I didn't say this before, it's kind of implied, but a huge trait of narcissism is a lack of accountability. It's always somebody else's fault. The world revolves around them. They're doing everything right. And any pain they experience, they're never going to look at themselves and say, what responsibility do I have in this? It's always someone else's fault. So a narcissist never comes in. Actually, I, I've had a couple people come in and ask me like, you know, I think I might be a narcissist. And just because they're asking that question, I know they're not a narcissist because they're interested in self-discovery. They're interested in feedback. They're interested in looking at themselves. So yes, changing a personality for somebody who has a personality disorder is almost impossible. If let's say a narcissist was all in, even that, I mean, I think even that would take years and years and years of very hard work. And I've never seen that happen. As a therapist and psychologist, we know when a narcissist comes into our office, we're not changing them. Mm. We're not going to give them any insight. They're not open to that. That's su such an interesting thing to understand. So I think I have dated someone with a personality disorder. We've spoken about him a lot on this podcast and we've referenced him in the toxic relationships and codependent episodes that we've done together. Now, in terms of the lack of empathy piece, I have this one memory which 
is something that really would lead to me thinking he actually could have been a narcissist because I remember on multiple occasions after we would have had a fight or have, you know, something had happened and I would be lying in bed next to him crying and he turned over and he said, can you just fucking cry a little bit more quietly? And I, at the time, you were bothering him. Yeah, honestly, he was just like, this is annoying. I'm trying to go to sleep. And I just remember at the time thinking, God, what a horrible person. But it isn't until I started researching this narcissist episode that we're doing right now that I realized, wow, that is the definition of a lack of empathy. It's really not only just like the blind man crossing the road, but it's also, oh, the person that I'm supposed to be in love with is hurting or is upset. And instead of just being like, oh, babe, like you're crying so much, let's deal with it in the morning. It was just the ultimate, can you just fucking cry a little bit more quietly that has just stayed in my head forever. And I think that another trait that I'd love to go into, which I saw a lot in him, was grandiosity. So this belief that they are entitled to X, Y, Z, that no one is smarter than them, that everyone else is stupid, that they're the best. And I definitely saw this from my ex-boyfriend, but I think underneath it, I could see that broken, fragile ego that would cover everything up with by having this big, beefy, perfect body and by spending £20,000 on a Rolex. You know, it was always like, oh, he's got a shit watch in comparison to me. And at the time I was so young and I just, you know, I knew it wasn't healthy what he was doing, but now I look back, I'm like, wow, that classifies as grandiosity. So I'd love it if you could just tell us a bit more about that or if there's anything that I've missed in terms of what grandiosity looks like in practice. Yeah, well, I think you described it perfectly. It's, again, masking this insecurity that they don't feel good enough. So they have to present themselves in a way that is superior and better than, and they constantly need to be proving that, making other people feel small so they feel big. And everything they do is about how they're going to be seen. It's all about appearance. It's all about getting that external validation from other people. There's no room for empathy in that. Their primary goal is to gain admiration and to get people to view them in a certain way, a very positive way. Mm. That is what they're focused on. I think this brings us to a really interesting intersection because using my ex-boyfriend as an example, also I'd just like to say this was an ex many, many years ago, if anyone thinks it was my recent ex who was definitely not this person. I understand why people could end up getting involved with narcissists and also not even really being sure if they are. Because for me, it felt like he would shower me with love and affection and there was great sexual chemistry, etc, etc. So I don't want people listening to think, oh, it'll be so obvious that he's a narcissist, she's a narcissist, because it's just obvious that they're a horrible, bad person. I think, again, from our planning for this episode, what's come out is there are so many traits that cover up these narcissistic personality traits. So let's talk a little bit more about how you might not realize they're a narcissist. Is it that when you first meet someone, you get given this like perfect exterior that's charming, charismatic, and then over time, the negative traits start to come out? Do you think they try to keep them back? Do you think they're even aware of them? Let's talk about positive versus negative traits. Yes, let's talk about this. So usually how these relationships start is love bombing, right? 
So they shower you with praise. They shower you with compliments. They ask you lots of questions. They're very curious about you. They want to know everything about you. What makes you tick? What's your biggest fear? And they put you on a pedestal. They make you feel like the most beautiful, desirable person on the planet. And this feels like love. This feels amazing to anybody on the receiving end of this. The problem is what you need to pay attention to is what happens the first time they don't get their needs met. So maybe you need time alone, or maybe you say something that they feel criticized about, or maybe you're not meeting their need anymore. What do they do then? And typically what happens then is you fall off the pedestal. You're no longer meeting their needs. And they use all of this information that they've gotten from you, all of this time that they spent asking you about your deepest fears and your feelings and your past relationships, they use that as ammunition against you. So all of a sudden, you're no longer on the pedestal. You're actually somebody that they're disgusted with. You start getting blamed for your character. And this is really puzzling. It's shocking. It's confusing to be on the receiving end of this. To go from being someone that's being, you know, has been showered with so much attention and affection and kind words to now all of a sudden being treated in such a way that is so disrespectful. And that is typically what happens with a narcissist the first time they don't get their needs met. You go from being someone they adore to being someone that is out to get them. So you think it's fair to say that another trait or way to describe them is being as exploitative, almost like they are using you to get something. And then when you don't give it to them, they might throw a tantrum or maybe not even that you don't give them something like I read somewhere that it's really interesting just to see how or what happens when they don't get their own way generally. So if the dinner reservation isn't there or the parking space gets stolen by someone else, is that also like they can be triggered by things outside of the relationship, which can show you that they have these traits? Absolutely. And you asked like in the beginning, are they trying to hide these things? Yes, they're going to be more patient. They're aware they're putting on a performance for you because they haven't yet gotten you in their control. But the way they get you in their control is they make you feel so amazing and then they devalue you. And most of the time, if we haven't dealt with a narcissist before, we haven't really done much of the work, then we're going to work to get back to that place where we're good in their eyes. We want them to see us for who we really are. No, I didn't mean to hurt you. No, I'm not a selfish person. And that's the trap you get stuck in. Mm, Yeah. And for some of us, that is very familiar, right? And that's what we call trauma bonding. It's the push, the pull, the in, the out. What is the difference between a trauma bond or if you are dating a narcissist, is it always a trauma bond? And the reason that I ask you that is because another example came to mind with my horrible ex-boyfriend, which is where we broke up, went on a break. I took him his stuff back and he messaged me later you looked so ugly when you came over earlier to drop my stuff off. I hated the dress you were wearing. Okay, so just this is just like a horrible, mean person. But also bear in mind that when we were together, he was obsessed with me, adored me, worshipped me, etc, etc. So yes, we've already said that he had this lack of empathy trait. 
And we've already said that he had this grandiosity trait and this entitlement trait, et cetera, et cetera. But what is the difference between just being with a toxic person or how do you know if it's a trauma bond or are you always in a trauma bond if you're in love with a narcissist because it's never a healthy love? Yes. It's always a trauma bond if you are staying in a relationship with a narcissist. People that have healed, people that have done the work will not stick around for any of this. The first time the narcissist speaks to you in a devaluing way or treats you in a bad way, you will be out of there. Narcissists only date people who allow this bad treatment. And trust me, it is not the victim's fault. Listen, I've been in a relationship with a narcissist because I didn't know. Narcissists are very good at manipulation and making you feel, but that's because I hadn't healed enough to be able to get out of this relationship. So anytime you're in that, like trying to earn the narcissist's love back, trying to please them, tiptoeing around them to try to keep the peace in the relationship, that is a trauma bond. There's something in you that makes you feel like this relationship could work. If I could just be different, if I could be more pleasing, if I could say it differently, then, you know, I could make this relationship work. That is a trauma bond. Once you've healed that trauma, you will know there is no way you're ever going to stay in a relationship like this. You're never going to let anybody treat you like that, speak to you like that, do behaviors that are so painful and devoid of empathy or consideration. Wow. I think that is incredible what you just said there, because I don't think society understands the difference between a trauma bond and dating a narcissist. So basically, if you are dating a narcissist, you are in a trauma bond. That for me is something that I never knew before. So I love that. And I also want to just reiterate the point that you said around healthy people do not stay with narcissists or in trauma bonds. And, you know, there is no victim blaming, there is no victim shaming here, because both of us have been in these situations. And I spent four years in a very abusive relationship, even though still to this day, I don't ever call myself the victim because I stayed in that. But the reason that I stayed is that I didn't realize what was going on. I didn't realize that I was worthy of a healthy love. And I didn't realize that this trauma bond was actually so damaging and destructive. I just thought that this was like a hot and cold, passionate relationship with a bit of a broken man. I didn't realize the depth of the relationship that I was in. So I think what you've just said there is incredible to help people see that if anyone is in this type of situation, you are in a trauma bond. And we really, really urge you to kind of seek professional help, not only to leave that situation safely, but also to understand why you are accepting something that is so much less than a lovely, healthy, beautiful partnership. And that's coming from me that after going to therapy, I look back at the behavior I tolerated. And if I saw one ounce of that today, I would be out straight away. Nope, I am not engaging in this because it's a very slippery slope. And if you start, it's very quickly like on a downward spiral. So that for me is already like an epic part of this episode. Thank you. And I'd love it now if we could go into the different types of narcissists, because this was something you told me and I was like, wow, no one knows this. And then I started Googling it 
And I've seen that some people say there's seven types of narcissists. Some people say that there's three. But I think today we're going to go in with the main three that you've told me about. And one of them, the vulnerable narcissist, which we'll get to, I don't think I'd ever even heard of before. So yeah, how many types are there? And could you tell me a little bit about, I guess, each of them and we can go into them in a bit more depth? Yeah, so there's really three types of narcissists. The first type is what we call an overt narcissist or a grandiose narcissist. And these are the most commonly associated with narcissistic personality disorder. Again, these people are characterized by a lack of empathy. They come across as outgoing, they're arrogant, they're entitled, they're very charming, like out in public. They're overbearing and they overestimate their intelligence and their emotional intelligence. They feel like they know better than most people. They have an exaggerated self-image. They're the best. They have the best. Um, And they have a deep need to be praised and admired. They can also be exploitive and competitive. So those are some of the primary features of narcissism, overt narcissism. The second type are what we call covert or vulnerable narcissists. And this is the type that a lot of people don't know about. They actually may have been in a relationship with a narcissist, but it doesn't look like the grandiosity and the arrogance and the charming personality. So they didn't recognize it. And a covert or vulnerable narcissist present as they're resentful, they're sullen. They sometimes can look socially anxious. They always feel like the victim. They're angry at the world. Everybody's out to get them. They seem like they have low self-esteem, which they do, but they don't mask that in the same way that covert narcissists do. They have a higher likelihood of experiencing anxiety, depression, and shame. They're introverted. They are insecure and have low confidence. Again, unmasked. They are very defensive. Again, not going to look at themselves. It's everybody else's fault. They're avoidant. They're avoidant of social situations, avoidant of looking at themselves, avoidant of people, and they have a tendency to always play the victim. Mm. So this one is really different. These people are sullen and angry, depressed, introverted, but the core is the same. The world revolves around them. They're the victim. It's all about their needs. Fascinating. Does that, that make sense? Yeah, that is so fascinating. Because for me, when you're explaining that, it feels like that's the core of the narcissist. But with the grandiose narcissist, they're covering it with the armor. And then with the vulnerable narcissist, it's like at the core, that's what like the real, that, that's what a narcissist is, is covering up. I think my question for you is, if you're in a relationship with the vulnerable narcissist, so the second type that you just explained, do they still try to control you and abuse you and manipulate you for their own gain? Or are they less exploitative? Would you say it's less damaging to be in a relationship with a vulnerable narcissist? How do they show up in love, in relationship, in dating? Yeah, I think the core is the same. So if you are in a relationship with a covert or vulnerable narcissist, eventually you will start to understand that it's all about them. And because they're not presenting in the beginning, they're less likely, I think, to do the love bombing and they don't have these charming personalities. So you don't get fooled by that in the beginning. You may actually start these relationships because maybe you tend to be a caretaker 
or they seem to be just a normal person. But what you will learn is that everything is still your fault. It's all about their needs. You're never good enough. Whatever you try is never going to make them happy. So you don't really have the highs and lows with the vulnerable narcissist like you do with an overt narcissist. Like with the overt narcissist, it's sometimes more confusing because there's this charming grandiosity. Everybody loves the overt narcissist. On the outside, the public thinks this person is amazing. With a covert narcissist, nobody really thinks that because they're seeing this person as someone who is introverted. They're not trying to charm other people. In fact, you can probably see some of their anger or defensiveness. You don't have the public or friends or family saying, what? He seems so great. Does that make sense? Yeah, total sense. And I guess that brings us on to the third type, which is malignant narcissism, which is from what I know is much more severe. It's likely to be the most dangerous, the one that's most likely to show up in cases of domestic abuse. Is that true. And I guess let's go into that one a little bit as well. Yes. And I do want to say that all three types are dangerous for the people around them. They're all dangerous because if you are in a relationship with a narcissist, you are going to start to doubt yourself. You're likely going to feel crazy because your experiences, perceptions of reality, opinions, feelings are going to be questioned, dismissed, and minimized. So the malignant narcissist tends to be more hostile, more angry, more abusive, vindictive. Their behaviors can be more extreme, but I do just want to say that any type of narcissism you're in contact with in a relationship with is toxic and is dangerous on your self-esteem, on your mental health. What I have taken away from discussing those three types is that at the core, narcissism is the driving force in all of their lives like they don't all love themselves some of them hate themselves with the vulnerable narcissist but at the core it's all about them they are obsessed with themselves in some capacity and everything has to revolve around them so is there anything else on malignant narcissism that you think we should be aware of yeah malignant narcissists tend to be the ones who are you know domestic violence abusers who are, you know, classic physical abusers, definitely emotional abuse, but emotional abuse happens with any kind of narcissist. So malignant narcissism means that person wants to hurt you. They take pleasure in hurting you. Whereas the other two types, they don't care if they hurt you. They have no empathy. They're going to do what they want to do. It's all about their needs. But the malignant narcissist actually takes pleasure in seeing you suffer. There's no guilt. There's no remorse. If you hurt them, they want to hurt you back. And so this is the type that can cause, you know, severe damage. It's really hard to get away from a malignant narcissist. They will do everything they can to control you. If you're dating one, they'll probably try to isolate you and make you feel like they are the only one you can trust because they don't want you to have any support in your life. They want you to be dependent on them. And I think that I'd love to just check in and discuss how does this develop? Is it something that people are born with? Is it something that comes through childhood trauma? What is the background to the development of narcissism? Yeah, so this develops in childhood. Most people are not born with narcissism. There may be parts of their temperament that make them more susceptible. 
to narcissism or more vulnerable. And if they are in a invalidating environment, so they don't get their needs met, they're not listened to, they're not heard, plus trauma, plus these vulnerabilities in their temperament, that is usually what produces narcissism. We know that there are certain genes that can be turned on or off by trauma or other situational factors. And researchers think that narcissism is one of those. There may be certain people who are genetically predisposed to narcissism and because of the environment they are in as children, the genes get turned on. So environment, trauma, susceptibility, in genes or temperament. Those are the factors that determine narcissism. Okay. And on the flip side, so with my ex that we've spoken about in this episode, I always say that he was treated as a little prince when he was younger. So his parents literally doted on him. There was nothing that he could do was wrong. I don't really know why, because there was nothing particularly special about him. But do you think that on the flip side, these bubble wrapped kids or these little princes and princesses that are like indulged, is there a way that you think that can lead to narcissism too? Or is it mainly the opposite, which is like a negative invalidating environment? No, I'm glad you brought that up because the opposite can also predispose people to narcissism. Because if you are told from childhood that you don't do anything wrong, and you are perfect, and you are superior to other people, you are going to believe that and your ego is never going to get a chance to develop in a way that says I'm flawed, I'm not great at everything. And that's okay. I'm not supposed to be great at everything. You don't learn how to regulate your emotions around making mistakes, failing at something not being the best at something. Those are all really important skills to learn as children. So yes, if we are indulging our kids in that way and trying to protect them from pain, then you are also, you know, making them vulnerable to narcissism and developing that personality. So you mentioned the word regulating. And I have a question here around how anger comes into play with narcissism and if it does at all. How does anger tie into narcissism? So with the ex-boyfriend, he was very, very angry. He would, you know, not only would we have horrendous fights where he would be emotionally and physically abusive, but he would also fight on nights out. You know, he would get drunk. He would want to fight. And even years later, when I bumped into him five, six years after we'd broken up, he admitted to me that he had recently broken up with his girlfriend because he actually had punched her cousin at a family event. And I mean, in that moment, that for me was the clarity was like, you have not changed in any way, shape or form from the angry, angry man that you were when you were 25, even though he was 30 when I saw him again. How does anger tie into narcissism? Can you just be an angry person and not be a narcissist? Because anger isn't something that we've spoken about at all. Is it something that you see showing up with narcissists when they don't get their own way? Or how does that tie in? Yeah, so somebody can have anger issues and not be a narcissist. They can have episodes of anger or act out in anger and then feel genuine empathy about it. They know it's a problem narcissists are not going to feel that way. And narcissists have trouble regulating their emotions. In fact, and this is what I talked to a lot of clients about, narcissists will use you to regulate their emotions. So a lot of times 
If they are starting to feel agitated or irritated about something, they're going to blame you for that. They're going to look to you as an outlet to take their anger out on. Or if they're feeling anxious or agitated in any way, they're going to engage with you and you're going to be the problem. Fights start when narcissists are feeling agitated and they're notorious for not being able to regulate their feelings. And they're never going to take responsibility for that. They're always going to blame someone else. They're going to start a fight. They're going to blame you for not meeting a need. And if you can't meet the need that they think you should be meeting, they're going to get angry. And, you know, one of the things that I see in, you know, in my own history, but also with clients who are in relationships with narcissists is a narcissist will reach out when they are agitated or angry, they'll bait the other person. So they'll start to, to try to bait you into a fight. And as people get healthier and they don't take the bait, they don't respond back. They don't apologize. They don't engage in that same rabbit hole of the same discussion over and over again. What happens is the narcissist will go through the whole range of emotions and you don't even have to be involved. So they might start out angry. How dare you not respond to me? How You're so selfish. They might get mean. Oh, you're so ugly. Insult, insult, insult. And then if you continue to disengage the next day, they might come back with, oh, I miss you. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I miss you. How could you do this? Let's get back together. And then if you don't engage in that, they'll go back to anger. You don't even have to be involved. And that sometimes is what it takes for people to understand that the relationships are never about the relationship. It's all about the narcissist and what they're feeling and what they need. You don't even have to be present. They can play out the whole relationship without you there. That is so crazy. And it actually reminded me that when I bumped into my ex, I don't even have his number anymore, but I think later that night when I left, he added me on Instagram. And he messaged me with something really nice and I didn't reply. Then he messaged me with something rude being like, you know, whatever. Then he started calling me, video calling me. And I didn't want to speak to him. I had no interest. I'd seen him. I realized I wanted nothing to do with this person. I didn't want to engage in any way, shape or form because I was so much healthier then. And it was just like, why am I going to do this? So I didn't pick up the call. And then he got super angry and was like, oh, fuck you. And like you said, I didn't even do anything. This whole cycle just happened that I was watching as the messages came through. And I was like, whoa, you are exactly the same person and you are doing this whole cycle with me doing absolutely nothing. So I think one of the reasons that I wish I'd met you 10 years ago was that you would have taught me all of the red flags to look out for that would have stopped me getting into that relationship in the first place, as well as teaching me about my models of love that thought that being with someone like that was love because it's not just about them. It's also about like the behavior that we engage with, attract, accept, et cetera, et cetera. So I know we're coming up for time now and we just have so much more to say, but I think we should also just do all of the red flags in a person when you meet them, when you start dating them to help you avoid actually getting way too deep into something that could be deeply, deeply destructive and traumatic. And I have lost many years of my life to someone destructive and damaging. And I know that other people out there can lose decades to narcissists because they just 
think that if they just love them a bit more, just forgive them once more, then maybe they can finally break that cycle. So what are your thoughts on doing a part two on this and getting into all of the things that you need to look out for to avoid this situation happening? Yes, absolutely. There is so much more to say. So I am down for part two. Okay, amazing. So before we wrap up today, I think that my key takeaways from this episode are that there are more than one type of narcissist. They don't all show up the same in the world. And my fundamental takeaway is that you cannot change a narcissist. And the reason I say that is because I came into this episode thinking that maybe you could. Maybe you could if they wanted to. But what I've learned from this episode is they don't want to. This is not about you. It's not about love. It's not about partnership. It's about nothing. It's just about them, their life. It's their world. You're just living in it and basically get on the roller coaster or get off it. They don't care because they are going 100 miles an hour with or without you. So I don't know if you have anything else to say today to wrap up this incredible episode. I think just to to build on what you just said or to drive that point home, like when you end a relationship with a narcissist, which at some point we'll talk about how do you do that? Maybe we'll do a workshop on it because it's difficult. They'll just find somebody else. (laughs) They're not going to stop these patterns of behavior. If it's not you, it'll be someone else. Narcissists stay in relationships with people who allow this mistreatment. Yeah, we have to go into that more because there is definitely a deep belief that if you just stay the stay, love them a bit harder, be a little bit quieter, look a little bit prettier, that you can you can make it work with them. And oh goodness, it makes me so sad to think that people are accepting that kind of love when they are just worthy of so much more. So yeah, we will we will definitely get into that. Thank you. The the work that you are doing and that I get the opportunity to do with you is so incredible. The number of people that replied to my Instagram sticker saying, please talk about narcissism. Please talk about how to get over a narcissist. Please talk about how to spot a narcissist. I was overwhelmed because I just didn't know if it was going to be mainstream content. But the truth is, is that these people are actually everywhere and we do date them and we fall for them because they are sexy and they are charismatic and often they are very handsome, very pretty. And that's part of how they developed into the narcissist that they are today. So yeah, sometimes I think we just think that these evil people like look evil, but the truth is, is they don't. They come wrapped up in these gorgeous, sexy, charming, charismatic exteriors, which can be so very very misleading. And they're going to push those buttons in you that feel worthless or that don't feel deserving of real love. They're going to find those buttons in you. They're really good at that. You're not going to feel like you deserve anything better. So we can go more into that in the next episode. But yes, all the things you said. All the things and more. Okay, well, everyone, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please do share it to your social media and be sure to give us a review on Apple or Spotify because it helps push the work that we're doing up the charts so we can reach more people with the free coaching advice on this podcast that we want to share with so many who can't afford traditional one-to-one therapy or are sitting on waiting lists waiting for help. So thank you if you support us. We love you so much. We are so proud of you for being on this journey, even listening, giving us 45 minutes of your time shows us that you are not a narcissist. So if anyone listening to this is worried that you are a narcissist, if you've just listened to 45 minutes, I would say you're not. Do you think that's true? Yes, definitely.
Oh, perfect. Perfect endpoint. So to all the non-narcissists out there, thank you so much for listening. We love you a great deal and we will speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. That was awesome.